Chapter 3 Jake and I shoved our way through the mass of bopping, spinning, shaking bodies. By the time we got to the group, Marco had his flannel shirt off. He started to fold the shirt into a bandana just as, boing, Axe's stock eye burst out of the lump. I did a quick scan of the gym. Had anyone seen? No. Everyone was busy dancing, or hoping someone would ask them to dance or psyching themselves up to ask someone to dance. Rachel grabbed the shirt out of Marco's hands and wrapped it around Axe's head. And here's the thing about Rachel, even in a crisis. The bandana actually looked good. Axe, you're starting to demorph. You've got to stop. Jake told him. Axe giggled. Demorph! Dee! Dee! That is a very pleasant mouth sound. D. He's delirious, I said. I felt the adrenaline start to pump through my body. This was a very bad situation here. Another D! Axe said happily, swaying. I heard a soft shushing sound, and a patch of blue fur sprouted on Axe's neck. Equipment room should be empty, Jake said. To the right of the bleachers, far side. Move, move, move! We formed a circle around Axe and headed across the dark, noisy gym as fast as we could. We reached the equipment room door. I grabbed the doorknob. Turned it. Locked. Out the guy's locker room windows, Marco said. Two teachers always supervising in there, Jake reminded him. Not in the girls, Rachel told him. Go straight behind the punch table. The line in front will give us some cover, Jake ordered. You're telling me there's no teachers monitoring the girls' room? Marco demanded. That is so unfair. We squeezed between the punch table and the wall, all of us keeping one hand on Axe. We'll meet up in the parking lot, Jake said when we reached the locker room. He, Marco, and Tobias let go of Axe and turned toward the main exit. I jerked open the door, and Brittany and Allison walked out in a cloud of Love Baby's soft perfume. She wants my body! Buddy! Buddy! Axe screeched in terror. He broke away from me and Rachel and bolted for the main exit. He's heading toward Chapman and Mr. Tidwell, Rachel cried. Vice Principal Chapman, a known controller, and Mr. Tidwell, the strictest teacher in the school. We all tore after Axe. We caught up to him just as Chapman grabbed him by the arm. Axe's flannel shirt turban had gotten loose during his dash across the gym. One shake of his head could send the shirt fluttering to the floor, giving Chapman a good look at Axe's eye stalk. A fatal look. He looks like he's been drinking, Mr. Tidwell said. I know this boy. I'll call his parents. Before Chapman could answer, Mr. Tidwell marched Axe out of the gym and into the hallway. We started after them. Chapman blocked us. No one is allowed outside the gym until the dance is over, unless a parent gives permission. We're his friends. We have his medication, I blurted. A delirious axe alone with Mr. Tidwell? That couldn't happen. Chapman studied us for a moment. Two minutes, he said. He stepped aside 
and we slammed through the door. We acted without hesitation. Rachel and Marco squeezed between Axe and Mr. Tidwell. Jake, Tobias, and I pulled Axe down the hall to the drinking fountain and shoved his head down. We huddled close, trying to block Mr. Tidwell's view with our bodies. I took a quick glance at Mr. Tidwell. How were Rachel and Marco doing? They stood shoulder to shoulder in front of Mr. Tidwell, keeping some hallway between him and Axe. At least for now. He's from out of town, I heard Rachel say as I turned back to Axe. Jake knows what to do. He takes special pills, Marco added desperately. For narcolepsy, or epilepsy, some kind of epsy. In a few minutes he'll be fine, Rachel promised. I shot another look their way. Mr. Tidwell hadn't budged. He was staring straight toward Axe. I leaned even closer to Axe and whispered in his ear, Axe, can you get your human morph all the way back? At least until we make it outside? Axe didn't answer. His lips were melting together. Mr. Tidwell, some guys in the bathroom have cherry bombs. They're going to blow the lids off all the toilets, Marco yelled. It'll be a toilet massacre. Tidwell still hadn't taken a step back toward the gym, but Rachel and Marco had kept him from moving toward us. So far. Two legs shot out of Axe's chest. Kabang! Kabang! The hoof slammed against the tile wall over the drinking fountain. Chinkle plop, chinkle. Tile and plaster rained down onto the metal fountain. Tidwell might not have seen that, but he had to have heard it. See? Marco yelled. Cherry bombs everywhere! Shloop, shloop. Axe's legs sucked back into his chest. His lips separated. Axe looked like a regular kid again. The medicine is kicking in, I called. I shot a frantic glance at Mr. Tidwell. We should get him home, Jake said loudly. Then he lowered his voice. Now we walk him past Tidwell and hope Axe can keep it together until we get outside. Jake started down the hall first. Tobias and I each took one of Axe's arms and fell in behind. It was going to work. Axe wasn't babbling or demorphing. Mr. Tidwell wasn't yelling for our parents' phone numbers. In another three steps, we'd reach him. Then, in two more steps, we'd be past him. One. Two. I did not like that sound. I did not like it at all. I looked over my shoulder, just in time to see Axe's giant scorpion tail tear through his pants, swing to the left, and knock Mr. Tidwell on his butt. Chapter 4 I rushed over to Mr. Tidwell and helped him up. Are you okay? I asked. At least Axe caught him with the side of the blade. Otherwise, Mr. Tidwell's head might be staring up from the floor at his own body. Mr. Tidwell didn't answer. He just took me by the elbow and led me down the hall away from the others. What was he doing? What did he want with me? The adrenaline had started pumping back in the gym. Now I could practically feel it slamming through my veins. I shot a look over my shoulder. Marco and Tobias huddled around Axe. Jake was holding Rachel back from going after us. Don't say anything, he mouthed to me. I knew what was going through Jake's mind. It was going through mine as well. Tidwell could not know. Could not. No matter the price. We really should get our friend, I began, when Mr. Tidwell pulled me to a stop. Don't. I know your friend is an Andalite, he told me, 
his voice calm and matter-of-fact. My mouth went dry. My throat, too. Just became a total desert. I wanted to tell Mr. Tidwell that I had no idea what he was talking about, but I couldn't get out a word. I also know who you are and what you are. All of you, Mr. Tidwell continued. Sweat popped out on my hands, under my arms, and on the center of my back. It was like all the moisture from my mouth and throat had migrated, migrated and multiplied. Mr. Tidwell was a controller. No question about that. And that meant he could not walk away, could not live to hurt us, to destroy us. I prepared to morph. I heard Axe's hooves slam into the wall again, but I didn't take my eyes off Mr. Tidwell. He looked so ordinary. Thinning gray-brown hair, a little bit of a paunch, wire-rimmed glasses, medium blue eyes. But that's the thing with controllers. They look like anyone. They are anyone. I am Ilum. I control Mr. Tidwell. We are both part of the Yurk Peace Movement. We have a message for you from Aftran 942, he continued. I turned and gave Jake an, I'm okay, give me a minute, signal. I needed to hear what Mr. Tidwell had to say. He knew Aftran. Maybe that meant Mr. Tidwell was our friend, too. Make that Ilum, the yurk inside Mr. Tidwell's head, because that's who I was really talking to. I felt the muscles in my shoulders relax the tiniest bit. Aftran is the yurk who made me think about yurks in a different way. Aftran made me realize that yurks are individuals, no two alike. She forced me to accept that all yurks are not our enemies. The night I ripped the throat out of the hork I also killed Aftran's brother. Aftran's brother was the yurk controlling the hork Aftran and the body of Karen, her little girl host, had tracked me down, planning to turn me over to Visser Three. Long story short, I saved her life. She saved my life. And then Aftran willingly returned to life as a blind, helpless, slug-like creature. She sacrificed her freedom to free Karen. D. Buddy! Axe bellowed, jerking me out of my thoughts. I cleared my throat. What message? Aftran's been taken by Yurk security, he answered. When? I demanded. Is she okay? What has she told them? Why didn't you find me sooner? Mr. Tidwell held up both hands. Aftran is unharmed for now. She hasn't been questioned yet, he told me. Visor 3 wants to handle the interrogation personally. A cold lump formed in my stomach. Interrogation by Visor 3 meant torture. I was sure Aftran would hold out as long as she could, but she would end up telling the Visor everything she knew, which was everything I knew. Aftran had been inside my head. She had unlocked all my memories. She knew all there was to know about the Animorphs. When? I asked. I wrapped my arms around myself. I caught a flash of movement out of the corner of my eye. Axe's legs were slamming out of his chest and getting sucked back in, over and over. The interrogation will be held in the next few days, Mr. Tidwell answered. The visitor is attending a reinduction seminar on the blade ship. So we had a little time. We could stop this. Mr. Tidwell's watery blue eyes searched my face. 
I'm sure you understand that Avtran could destroy the Yurk peace movement. And you. I nodded. Where is she being held? Mr. Tidwell swallowed hard. Avtran is imprisoned in the Yurk pool. We need your help getting her out. The Yurk pool. The perfect place for an ambush. I told myself to start acting smart. I couldn't believe whatever Mr. Tidwell said, just because he used Avtran's name. How do we know this isn't a trap? I asked, searching Mr. Tidwell's face. How do we know we can trust you? If you couldn't trust me, you'd be dead right now, he answered. He glanced at the gym door. If I don't get back in, Chapman will come looking for us. I'll be in touch. Get the Andalite out of here. Mr. Tidwell hurried back into the gym. I hurried back over to Axe and the others. Are we just going to let Tidwell walk back in there? Rachel demanded. After what he saw? He's with the Yurk Peace Movement, I said. Yeah, that's where they say please before they shove their slummy bodies into your ear and take control of your brain. Marco spat out. What are you, crazy? He saved us from Chapman tonight, I protested. So what? Shut up, Tobias snapped in a totally un-Tobias way. All I care about right now is getting Axe home. He's right. Let's move, Jake said. I wrapped my arm around Axe's shoulders and helped Tobias lead him outside. I didn't like the way Axe was looking. He was completely back in his human morph, but a gooey green-yellow puss was gluing his eyelashes together, and his lips were chapped, like when you have a high fever. How are you doing, Axe? I asked. I am de-de-delirious, he cried. Chapter 5 As soon as we got outside the school, I managed to talk Axe through the demorph into his Andalite body. Once he was back in his own form, he stayed there. Big relief. Tobias demorphed too, and told us which streets to use to avoid the most people, and where to hide Axe when we were close to getting caught. We made it back to the barn, but it was not a fun trip. Put him in the last stall, I instructed. Marco, fill the trough with water. Rachel, get him a blanket from the pile by the door. Jake, go to my house and get the thermometer from the bathroom. I can't use veterinary equipment. I need the one you can use in your ear. Don't worry about my parents. Out. I glanced up and saw all three of them staring at me. It's true that I'm not usually the one barking the orders, but I'm the one who knows most about taking care of sick animals. Not that Axe is an animal, exactly. I feel like I'm on ER, Marco said as he headed toward the hose. I've definitely got a Noah Wild kind of thing happening. Anything I should do? Tobias asked from his perch in the rafters. Just keep a lookout, I answered. You got it, Tobias said. Rachel hurried over and handed a blanket to me. I spread it over Axe's back and shoulders. I could feel tiny tremors racing through him. So are you finally going to tell us what Tidwell said or what? Marco asked as he filled the trough. I mean, if some orc are going to burst in the door any second, I might want to bake a cake or something. Axe is sick, Marco. We have to deal with that first, I answered. If Tidwell talks, Axe is going to be worse than sick. He's going to be dead. We all are, Rachel spat out. Cassie, what did you say to him? What did he say to you? I ignored her. Had to. She spun away and started pacing back and forth in front of the stall. 
Can you tell me what's wrong with you, Axe? I asked. Have you ever felt like this before? Yumfoot, he mumbled. What's that? I asked. I need to ask to tell me what to do to cure him. My parents are both vets. We probably have the best animal medicine library for miles. But there was nothing in any of those books about the care and feeding of an alien. Come on, Axe, I said, my voice a little sharper. What's Yumfoot? It's, uh... Axe's thoughts speak faded. Axe, come on! Stay with us! Tobias said. Let's try giving him a little water, I said. Help me stick one of his hooves in, okay, Marco? I asked. Marco topped off the trough and turned off the hose. Then, we gently lifted Axe's front right leg and placed his hoof into the water. Axe swayed, and I braced my shoulder against his side, letting him lean on me while he absorbed the water. I could feel him heaving against me as he pulled in ragged breaths. That's enough, I said, when Axe's hoof had been submerged about half a minute. Marco and I pulled his hoof out of the trough. Rachel grabbed another blanket and tossed it to Marco so he could dry Axe off. I stayed close in case he got wobbly again. Okay, Axe. Try and focus. Tell us what Yomfoot is, I said, speaking slowly and clearly. Disease, Axe answered. Disease organisms collecting in my tree gland. Jake rushed back into the barn. Got the thermometer. He slapped it into my hand, scrub-nurse style. Then he sat down and leaned against the side of the stall. I slid the thermometer into Axe's ear and waited for it to beep. When it did, I pulled it out and checked the reading. 95.5, I told the others. I was sure he had a fever, Rachel said. He might, I told Rachel. But we don't know, because we don't know what normal andalite temperature is. Axe, can you tell us? Rachel asked him. 91.3, Axe gasped. Of your degrees, he added. Axe, they're everyone's degrees, not our degrees, Marco started to argue. Then, he stopped. About four degrees above normal. I wasn't liking this. I knew a few ways to try and break a fever, but I didn't know what effect they would have on an andalite. What if something I did made him worse? Tell us more about the tria gland, I said. Tria gland keeps disease organisms away from rest of body. Axe answered. That's good, right? Tobias asked. It sounded good. Maybe Axe's body would heal itself. But if it bursts, bad. Disease organisms get loose. Axe choked out. How can we stop it from bursting? Jake demanded. Axe locked all four of his eyes on me. He took my hand and gave my fingers a weak squeeze. His skin felt cold and slick with perspiration. You must take it out, or I will die, he whispered. His main eyes closed. His stock eyes drooped. When temperature goes back to normal, trigger gland out, or disease organisms kill. Okay, okay, yeah. Where is the tria gland? I asked. Tired. I know you're tired, and you can go to sleep soon. But first you have to tell me where the tria gland is, I insisted. Now, Axe. 
My head, Axe answered. I felt the blood drain from my face. Instinctively, I turned to Jake. He was staring at Axe as if he couldn't believe what he just heard. The silence stretched. I'm no brain surgeon, Marco finally said. But it sounds to me like we're talking about brain surgery here. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode. I guess contextually, from the cover, could have figured out this was the one with the introduction of the Yerk Peace Movement, but uh, I remember this for the brain surgery on Axe's head, not not for this part, um, although they are connected. Uh... <laughs> I have the weirdest memory of of this book, just to share a little bit about me. Um, I don't I don't know if this memory is from when I was a kid or when I uh, first reread these back, um, you know, like five or six years ago. But I have a memory of like reading this and like, and I had this thought too, reading it uh, again for for the recording of, uh, I feel like people should have reacted more strongly to the fact that there's a Yerk peace movement. Like they talk about it like it was an established thing, and I think that's where it confuses me. They talk they're they're so not uh, uncurious. They just accept accept the fact that there's a York Peace movement so readily that like it sounds like it was a a previous book had introduced them as the main plot and they're referencing that. That's how it feels to me when I read these uh this chapter, these couple of chapters. Um that's not it. They're introduced here. It's just uh uh the ghost writer here, I think this is a ghost-written book. Um, if not, then Miss Applegate. It's a bit of a clumsy introduction. If I were, you know, fighting an evil empire that I thought was all evil and then, like, learned that there were some that were, like, in an active movement against the empire, that'd be pretty big news to me. I'd sit on that a little longer. Although, I guess um, the brain surgery does kind of take precedence, huh? Anyway, we got some messages. Uh, the first one is from is uh, through the Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And it is uh, an anonymous, anonymous message, although um, introduced as from Jasmine. Uh, so it reads, Hello, I'm Jasmine from Montreal, Canada. And I've literally been listening through the back catalog of the podcast all summer. I started back in April as I was finishing up my final assignments of the semester. Then at the start of June, I moved to Berlin to follow a summer school program there and I downloaded a bunch of the supercuts to listen to on my almost 20-hour journey there. As it turns out, I really missed the post-show notes, uh, because they really gave me the feeling that other people were out there, listening to these books too. As soon as I was able to, I switched back to listening episode by episode. My summer in Berlin is over now, I'm back home, and I incidentally just caught up, uh, just caught up on the podcast. I wanted to express my gratitude for this whole project, Going through my semester abroad was unlike anything I've done before, and it meant a lot to me to have audiomorphs to listen to. It's so amazing to me that there are people out there who just, who are just regular guys who want to dedicate years of their lives to creating something beautiful, with no or little financial reward. To me, that's what's really beautiful about fandom. I hope you realize what you're doing is not just making audiobooks of a kooky and silly children's book series. You're fostering a community and connecting people, and that means a lot to me and I'm sure a lot of other listeners would agree. So thank you, and here's to another five-plus years of Audiomorphs. P.S. I found this in an Animorphs Facebook group, but there is an Australian question mark, band called Love Boner 
that wrote a song about Tobias's character called I'm a lover, I'm a fighter, I'm a hawk. I seriously recommend listening to it, because that's kind of what inspired me to revisit the series. I've actually heard that uh, song before. It's very good. Um, I think actually maybe I saw that same Facebook post. Oh, I'm so bad with time. I have no idea when I saw this. Um, but it, it might have been the same post, actually, because um, I also think I saw that through Facebook. But um, thank you so much for writing in, Jasmine. I'm so glad that uh, you that you've been enjoying these. And, um, you know, I occasionally check my um, metrics on uh, my my podcaster uh, site or whatever. They give me some metrics on like where where it's being downloaded. Uh, I, I do recall at some point looking over there and seeing that Germany had, had quite a few downloads. That might have just been you. You might have been uh, the one holding Germany down during that period when I looked into it. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that message. Um, and uh, yeah, do, doing this um, just for the love of the game is, is something that resonates with, uh, with me. And I'm about to get on my... Uh, political platform here which i uh, try to keep minimal on this uh podcast because that's not why you're here um but it is a big part of who i am so let's let's talk about it which is that yes exactly the capitalists will tell you that the profit motive is the only motive that exists and without profit nothing would ever get done in society and i'm here to prove you wrong um because we see uh labor done for many different reasons beyond expressly monetary all over the place, right? Um, There's very obvious ones like people who do things for their community um, just to better their community, right? That uh, isn't necessarily a paid position, but they'll do it because they care about these people and want to help them. And then there's also, uh, I mean, for example, this podcast, I make zero money off this. I actually lose money um, in all likelihood, (laughs) Because, well, well, thank you so much to the people who donate money. And again, no pressure to do so. Um, I don't get that many donations. Um, so I probably do lose money on server fees uh, for the year, right? Um, but I I like doing this. And I like creating this podcast. And um, I like this book series. And that's why I do it. I mean, look at the, look at the crazy stuff people have made in Minecraft um, for no other reason than... Uh, their love of making stuff in Minecraft. This is what I'm saying, right? People like to do stuff. You don't have to pay them. Um, let me rephrase that. Pay is not the only incentive to doing stuff. Um, one of the classic arguments um, that that um, pro-capitalism people will will often trot out is like, oh, well, you know, if uh, there's if there's no money or whatever, then you know, who's gonna Who's gonna stock the shelves and and clean and clean up the streets? You know, take out the trash. Where are the garbage men? Uh, first of all, there are people that like legitimately like collecting garbage. Um, I've met a few. I, I've seen a few. You know, people people say this online. I don't know. I've seen tweets. I've seen Reddit posts. Um, and yeah, so I mean that there is a segment that like legitimately uh, likes doing this. I honestly don't mind doing retail work. Except for the like the part where I don't get paid enough to live, right? If I could get paid enough uh, to survive doing retail, I honestly wouldn't mind doing retail as a job. Um, the customers are also kind of oh, but you know that's a different. That also get, is is part of a bigger web of social. We don't have time to get into it. Um, and also my follow up to that is just that um, 
if if we we all have our needs taken care of and we aren't uh having to do jobs strictly just to make the money to survive then we don't have to do like a grueling 40 to 80 hour work week or whatever you know um what what if i was a garbage man you know um two days out of the week you know and we took shifts that's all i'm saying uh jobs can still get done without capitalism <laughs> all right thank you for letting indulging me in that thank you jasmine for writing and we got one more thing to uh, go over before i get out of here which is that speaking of money someone has joined our platinum tier or exhilarate or exhilarate auxiliary auxiliary animorphs i guess that's what i'm calling them now even though no spoilers to the people who haven't gotten there yet but um this is from Monica, who uh, also added a note. Animorphs on Spotify. Uh, sorry, Audiomorphs on Spotify. Love what you're doing. Thank you from San Antonio, Texas. Thank you so much, Monica. I really appreciate that. Again, any money that gets donated to me, and you can donate through my website. That's uh, theapocalypse.com. The Apocalypse, like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. There's a link to my PayPal there. Um, all of that goes to uh, my server fees. I pay a hundred bucks to host a website because I'm very vain and a hundred bucks to uh, host this podcast on the Podbean servers. Um, and if you give me money, that's what it goes to. I'm not making money off this. Um, couldn't if I wanted to, I don't think. Um, and I don't want to. We just had a big speech about that. Um, but thank you so much, Monica. I'm, it's getting warm in here and I'm losing my train of thought is, is what's happening right now. So thank you for donating, Monica. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Uh, I guess shout out Spotify, hate to say it, but once Spotify got into the game, like 60 or 70% of you guys listen to this on Spotify. So I got to recognize it. Spotify has done great for me. Um, and I will see you all. Oh, sorry. Uh, I forgot. If you'd like to write in, we've mentioned the Tumblr, right? We've mentioned the website. Once again, in case you zoned out, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. That's theapocalypse.com. And we also have an a email, which is audiomorphscast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at me uh, at Audiomorphs for you know while Twitter's still around, um, get into get in while you can I guess, um, and check that if I'm ever late. Uh, that is where I will post the update, um, and also maybe on Tumblr now just because of you know how Twitter is these days. Um, but other than that, now thank you for listening, and I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel. And I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>